0: everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of In-Depth with Beth and Seth. And my name is Seth. I am one of the F people in this, and I am glad to be with you. I am the Minister for Spiritual Formation and Theater here at Plymouth, and I am joined by my friend and colleague and my fellow F person, Beth. Hi, Beth.
1: Hello, Seth. Hello, everyone. I am Beth Hoffman-Faith. I've never really thought of myself as an person, but (laughs) I guess now I will. I am the Minister for Congregational Care and Worship at Plymouth Church. Always glad to be a part of these conversations.
0: This one is going to be especially fun today, I believe, (laughs) and it might just be because I'm low on sleep and a little punchy, and you're getting that, everybody. Uh, Today we are talking about our good colleague Dwayne's Sermon from September 26th. 2021 preached twice at plymouth once under the tent under the big top and once over live stream and in front of the choir and it is called sisters are doing it for themselves and this is off of the scripture luke 10 verses 38 through 42 for those of you who scriptures mean something to this is the one in luke about mary and martha and this is our second contribution in our command to preach series Dwayne picked this one out of a bowl. And thank you to Nancy Geertz-Larsen for putting that in as a suggestion. It created, unsurprisingly, a rich and good sermon yesterday and a lot of discussion. And we're going to have more of that today. All right. Beth, Beth, what are your immediate thoughts when... So when he pulled that out of the bowl and we said, what'd you get? And he said, ah, I got Mary and Martha. For some people, that is a thing. They know exactly what that is and there's strong feelings on it. And for others, they'd say who and who? What was your response? Well,
1: I, I like the Mary and Martha story. It's it's a very brief scene in um, scripture. And we have Tell two, us sisters, about it. two yeah. sisters who uh, who Jesus has come to visit. Who has Jesus has a relationship with these sisters they appear at other times in the narrative and Martha is busy getting ready for Jesus and when Jesus appears is moves into hospitality mode while food or a meal is not ever described one might think that that's what Martha has been doing but it's obvious that she has worked hard to prepare for this visit and Mary sees this as an opportunity to to sit in the presence of the divine and to be still and to know god and to to sort of glean whatever jesus is is offering in the moment and there's uh, some tension that arises for martha who views mary's actions as sort of leaving her to do everything and um, she wants jesus to chide mary uh, when instead jesus suggests that maybe martha needs to rethink things he he says to to martha You are worried and distracted by many things, but Mary has chosen the most acceptable way. I use that quote a lot. Worried and distracted by many things. I do. And I when I'm with my friends- To yourself or to other people? (laughs) Well, when I'm with my friends or somebody who asks me how I am, I have been known to say I'm worried and distracted by many things. Now, if it's somebody who's in a clergy relationship or knows something about scripture, they'll know what I'm talking about. Other people might look at me strangely, and then I have to give them a little context. But what- describes Martha I think describes many of us particularly right now boy we are worried and distracted by many things
0: are there things to be worried and distracted by
1: <laughs> on any given day there could be a very long list and I think Dwayne did a good job of pointing out the fact that we tend to polarize when we read this the story when we hear the story and we lift up as Mary as you know the one to emulate and Martha just needs to get over her domestic self, as Dwayne as
0: Dwayne said, because we don't want right, yeah, right, right, to argue with Jesus, right, right, or it's tough to argue with Jesus.
1: So my first reaction when Dwayne pulled this back to your original question, pulled this story was, oh darn, I'd like to take that on. Oh, um, I I, w- I like preaching on Mary and Martha, but I, I will tell you that I have not genderized the story in the way that Dwayne portrayed to us ever. Mm. And I was startled by that realization as Duane began to preach yesterday. And then I found myself getting a little reactionary to that. Like I have always thought about this story in terms of of anyone, not just women, but humanity. Those of us who get worried and distracted or those of us who are called to um, with the gift of hospitality, which is what I imagine Martha Contained. And those who have chosen a more contemplative way, like Mary emulates, I'm not saying Mary always did that in her interactions with Jesus, but in this scene, she's very contemplative and she. She realizes the opportunity that's ahead of her to, to sort of, again, bask in the presence of the divine. And we humans, some of us may miss that because we get worried and distracted by many things or we we get busy. Or, you know, we've all been in those situations where we've been in someone else's home and we've just wanted the host to sit down and relax. Right. Yeah. Right. Just relax and talk with us. Stop worrying about if everything's in its place or. So that's the way I've thought about it and much less about this is something that we have used, we a collective, we have used to prove some kind of point about the validity of women mm. and women's roles in church, in discipleship, in life.
0: The the gender, the gender piece of it, when you and I were talking beforehand and you mentioned that that piece that you hadn't gendered before, that I found that to be really fascinating. And I wonder if part of the gendering that came out of it was partially. In Nancy's little introduction to it, she did talk about it, bristling from a feminist standpoint, if, if that's a fair way of mm-hmm. describing what she said. And then Duane also uh, talked about how he has 10 sisters mm-hmm. and that this is a passage that holds debate in his great land of sisters. Yes. Uh, so those two things combined may have brought it in into that conversation. And just as a side note, I, what's interesting is it seems like Plymouth is hungry to know more about the preacher. It's something that people have said to me that they like to learn about me when I talk about it in a public way like that. One of the things that I heard a lot about, or I've heard several times, is people saying, wow, Duane has 10 sisters. Mm-hmm. Like That is one of those things I really got held onto. And one of yes. those pieces of personal life and information that maybe was missed before. And wow, I really want 10
1: to- sisters and four brothers. He's one of 15. That's the youngest a- of 15. Yes, the youngest.
0: He has nieces and nephews older than him.
1: I also couldn't help but wonder if a sermon like this had been preached at Plymouth in the last two decades, like those who are in the preaching role, would they have viewed this text as an opportunity to address and call out women's roles in ministry? Because I think there's a perception that Plymouth is above that. We've embraced women clergy for decades.
0: Haven't we figured this out?
1: Yeah, we we don't have that problem here. You know, we don't we don't make women feel less than or think that their own that women are, are you know it's only appropriate for women to do certain kinds of ministry in certain settings or or live out discipleship in a in a certain way. And so I appreciated Dwayne his approach to this. After it took it took a little bit, and I was you know. I was glad that I could hear it twice because I came to it the second time in the second service with a little with a different understanding because I knew where he was going. I think that's that's a tribute to the fact that Duane is still getting to know this congregation. Right. But that when he reads this text, this is what he was called to say about it. Yeah. And that, you know, we need to be really careful that we aren't using this biblical pericope as a way to, quote, Keep women in their place,
0: unquote. And with that, he says something kind of on the the point where the sermon is heading towards its landing. He says, he names this very specifically, and I would love to hear more about it. He says, I suspect it is what I see my women colleagues confronting. Men traditions and systems that frustrate women's contributions because of outdated patriarchal notions of who are called to be ministers, and that is when you and in the tent service, at least many other women and men, myself, called out "Amen!" Like there mm-hmm. was a there was a verbal response to that, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your experience. So it's not just a man talking about women's experience what has your experience been?
1: Well, I have experienced a steep learning curve. I think before we recorded, I said to you something like, I was 23 years old when I served my first church.
0: You just celebrated 27 years of ordination last mm-hmm. weekend, right?
1: I was ordained at 25, but I, yes, but I um actually, I was ordained at 26, but I had Been serving your churches for several years before ordination as part of the seminary preparatory process, right? Um, Yes, and I did just celebrate 27 years of ordination, and I remember. And I, of course, I was so green and young and naive and hopeful and idealistic and all the things that folks usually are, and I think in their early 20s. But I, I remember lots about that first parish including a very a poignant memory of I was I had actually done a pulpit exchange with a neighboring pastor it was a summer pastorate up up northern Wisconsin UCC churches United Churches of Christ I had done a, a pulpit exchange and he this man served two small churches and I arrived at the first one which was out sort of really in the middle of nowhere very small church beautiful church in the woods and it became very clear to me that he had not told them Who is coming?
0: The lady pastor surprised them?
1: (laughs) Because, and when we talked about it later, he said, I didn't tell them because I didn't think anybody would show up. Oh no. They knew you were a woman. It actually turned, that experience turned out to be okay. In the second church, which is in a little bit of a larger town, I had friends visiting and they were in the, in the pews and I, you know, walked up the aisle at the beginning of the service into the pulpit and they heard, my friends heard an audible gasp. Whoa. Of the people around them that said, and someone said, Oh my, it's a woman, and she's wearing pants.
0: Oh, glory. It wasn't be.
1: even true. I wasn't even wearing pants. I was wearing what we called culottes at the time, and they were flowy, and it looked like a skirt. They just happened to have legs. I, I'll never forget that. I,
0: your your compromise was not lost on them. <laughs> they they knew it was pants,
1: <laughs> and that is just I mean, those are concrete examples. In my very first call after ordination, I was informed at a clergy meeting I went to in which every other person was male that it was my job to bring the muffins every week. Oh, I mean, no. Mm-hmm. I mean, over and over again. I think that what I have found is that I don't even notice it as much as I should anymore.
0: Your calluses are thick?
1: I guess, you know, I've had my... Head padded. I've had my behind padded. I've been. Uh, I've had people be incredibly inappropriate with me in terms of boundaries. I have been condescended and questioned. I have had just about everything said to me that I can imagine in terms of my gender and my role. Uh, most of it is surprise that a woman could string together articulate words in a sermon, could make a positive leadership decision could foster and care for people as deeply as I have, it runs the gamut. The disappointing piece is when it comes from colleagues, when it comes from other clergy, which it does a lot. Still? And, uh, it happens.
0: I mean, this is this is awful no matter when it happened. And you and I are looking at each other on the screen and my mouth is sort of hanging open. <laughs> um, but something you said to me earlier was when you were young, this all surprised you and now nothing nothing surprises you anymore.
1: Nothing surprises me. I hope I'm a little bit more. Well, I, I know I am. I can name it when yeah. it happens. Most of the time, sometimes things fly by me and, I, and then I find I have, I've fallen into the category of making excuses for others' behaviors. Sure. But I've also gotten better at being able to name it and confronting it when, when I've had to.
0: So a lot of what you just named, and I appreciate you, your vulnerability and, and Willingness to name some things and not just say things happen, but point them out. Mm-hmm. And I know that that may not be easy. But they—they they were you framed them in in the past. Now that you are part of a co-equal clergy team, you have 27 years of, or over almost 30 years of ministry under your uh, culottes belt, and you are at this big progressive church. Has it ended?
1: no it happens at Plymouth all the time no we are not we have not risen above that particular fray yes and and that saddens me I still
0: it saddens me too
1: you know I have had men try to exert authority over me at Plymouth I've I've been condescended to I've been uh, demeaned I've been um, discounted I've had people inappropriately touch me.
0: Yeah. So this, this continues to
1: happen. It is unacceptable. And again, I, you know, I, it no longer surprises me. It will always sadden me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have known women who have left parish ministry because of it. Mm -hmm. When women clergy get together, we, we share a lot of stories, Um, not trying to top the last but just recognizing the shared experience that our, our gender has given us in the places that we have served. And so, again, I'm grateful that Duane took this path in a sermon. It makes me think about the story in a different way. I think it is important that men name this. I, I think this is a perfect, this would have been a great opportunity to think more about a dialogue sermon between, mm. you know, with a woman in the pulpit too. But there's work to do just around human relationships <laughs> and an honoring of the other and the gifts that we that we bring. The good news for me is that I've I have never questioned my calling to ministry. I have certainly questioned my calling to place and setting and parish, but I know that God created me to do ministry and gave me the gifts in which to do it. And I, no one, anyone, nothing anyone could say or do to me would take that away. My 23-year-old self probably couldn't have said that, but my 53-year-old self can.
0: I am very grateful for you. I'm very grateful for you recognizing that in yourself. And you have been a gift to me and a gift to this congregation in ways that we probably can't even quite understand. Mm -hmm. So thank you.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.
0: Thank you all for listening. Uh, We appreciate you as well, and we appreciate your listening ears and we would love to hear from you. If you are ever called to dialogue with us on anything that is said here or, and all of us like to hear something about our sermons. If you Mm -hmm. have thoughts, and and we're not just looking for affirmation, although it's nice. But if you if something we say in a sermon makes you wonder something, we would love to know that or even talk through it. With you.
1: Absolutely, I echo that, Seth. I think to engage in conversation over around what has been said from the pulpit is really a gift. Yeah.
0: And it doesn't have to be framed in a I like or dislike, though oh, those no. are really none of us preach sermons hoping you like them. We preach sermons hoping that you hear something, hoping that we learn something in doing it, and hoping that it, it is um, challenging or agitating or opening or revealing or meaning making in some way. So please talk to us. Indeed. Be well, everybody. We will talk to you again next week.